Good morning. It's time to begin. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 5, or scroll down to it, whichever is appropriate. 2 Kings chapter 5, we'll take up with verse 12 today. Last week we read where Naaman the Syrian went to a healing meeting, you might call it, with the man of God, Elisha. Naaman came all the way from Syria to Samaria in Israel to be recovered of his leprosy. But when he was told by Elisha's messenger to go and wash in the Jordan River seven times to be clean, Naaman was upset. He was upset that Elisha didn't come out and greet him personally or call on the name of the Lord and strike or wave his hand over the place where the leprosy was. So Naaman went away mad. And you may review that lesson on Facebook in case you missed it last week. So we'll begin reading now in verse 12 for the new part of our lesson. If you're just joining us online, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 12. And here's Naaman's objection to washing in the Jordan River. Are not Abana and Farfar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Now, Damascus was the capital of Syria. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Road rage. There you go. Except he was on foot or in a chariot. Not only is Naaman angry and disappointed, but now he looks down on the prescription that was given to him by Elisha. The Abana River that you read about is now called the Barada River. Some of you may have already known that. And it flows from the mountains of Lebanon to the area of Damascus and through Damascus. And its waters are clear and they're spring-fed along the way, so it must be beautiful. And the Farfar River, now known as the Owaj River, flows from Mount Hermon. And that's the same mountain from which... The Jordan rivers have their headwaters that flow down the other side through Israel. And Farfar's waters are clear and cold, as much of it is from snowmelt from Mount Hermon. And I saw some old photographs of that river, and it's beautiful. So those are the rivers, best we can tell, to which Naaman was referring. He said, Can't I wash in those rivers, which we know to be clear and spring-fed, beautiful, and in his own country? Save him the trip, wouldn't it? Naaman's thought was that if all he needed to do was wash in a river, he could have just stayed in Syria and done that. But he has responded completely wrongly to the prescription given to him by the man of God. Why am I saying it's a prescription? Because Naaman had a disease, leprosy, and he wanted it to be healed. Now, when we want to be healed of the flu or COVID or anything else, we go 
yeah, the flu still exists. The, we go to the doctor, don't we? Or even to the hospital if it's serious enough. And somewhere along the way, somebody gives us a prescription, a doctor, a nurse, to help us get better. So that's what, in effect, Naaman was looking for. Now, think about Naaman's response. As we studied it last week and as we just looked at it here in verse 12, And I want you to imagine if I went to a doctor for an infection and the doctor prescribed an inexpensive cure, a sulfa drug, and I have to take it for seven days. And with the good insurance that I have through my employer, it costs about $5 for for that prescription. Even for Brother Andy, that's not that much money. But instead I say, huh. Why didn't the doctor put his hand on the place of my infection and shake it back and forth and call on the name of Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, to heal me? Now, that'd be silly, wouldn't it? And in further disgust with this cheap, easy solution to my serious infection, I say to the doctor, and why should I take a $5 bottle of white pills I have white pills at home that taste better than that, and they're far more expensive. I have chewable vitamin C's. Why can't I just take those? So I throw the prescription in the trash and walk away from the doctor with my infection and my pride intact. That'd be pretty dumb of me, wouldn't it? But that's where Naaman is psychologically right now. And looking back in the text, he says of those two rivers, May I not wash in them and be clean? Naaman totally discounted what God's word said in favor of what his expectations were. Now here's a truth for you to take away. God's word will never meet the expectations of the flesh. Never will. God's word is directly against the flesh. God's word tells man that he's a sinner, that he's violated God's law over and over again. The world tells man, you're not that bad. There are other people who have done worse. You're a good person. Look at the good in you. And so forth throughout the Bible, what the word of God says doesn't appeal to the flesh. And that's why the world hates the Bible. That's why many who go to church, various denominations, don't really, as they say, well, I don't really know much about the Bible. Well, that's a problem. Because that's what the church should have as its only textbook. He said, may I not wash in them and be clean. The flesh always wants something more or something different even something outlandish. But the Bible teaches us about simplicity in many things. In our daily living, we're told what earthly things we should strive for and what earthly things we should be content with. In fact, John the Baptist teaches us this in Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. 
Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. If you're taking notes, you can just write that down and I'll read it. And the people asked him, that is John the Baptist, saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. You know what a publican was? It was a tax collector, like Zacchaeus. And what did Zacchaeus do? He not only exacted taxes from people he stole, he took more from them. So exact no more. In other words, when you go out to collect taxes, just take what's due. Don't try to get more than what's due. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. The phrases in that passage, the phrase is, Be content, exact no more, and let him impart, are very instructive to us. When the prosperity gospel preachers tell people, sow that seed and you'll reap great financial harvest. Well, what they mean is send me money, send me your hard-earned money so I don't have to work and then I'll reap a great financial harvest and and if you tell me, well, where's mine? I'll say, well, you don't have enough faith. You see, that's the trap that they get people into. But those prosperity gospel preachers when they tell you to sow that seed so you can reap a great financial reward, they are not appealing to your spiritual man. They're appealing to your flesh. And what does the flesh want? Now, don't be raising your hands in here because there's always somebody who has an argument about it. But people who go buy a lotto ticket or play the lottery, what do they want? They want to scratch something off and be rich. That Every single one of them. You don't find somebody. If I could get somebody before they go into that convenience store on Wednesday and sign up for the lotto and say, hey, let me ask you this. How would you like to throw $20 away? I mean, just go right over in that trash can and rip it up and drop it in there. They'd say, well, that's silly. But they go in there and pay that money and get that lotto. And what's the chances of winning? Well, you'd probably be struck by lightning twice before you could win the lotto. But the flesh says, oh, if I could just get that one or go to the casino and pull that arm and hit a fat one, then all my troubles would be over. Well, they'd just begun. And those preachers, those prosperity gospel preachers would go broke if they would just tell people, listen, keep your money and be content with what you have. They wouldn't make anything, would they? Well, I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher, so I'm going to tell you to be content with what you have. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6, reveals a very profound truth about why we should be content with what we have. Now, we're talking about Naaman. We're trying to learn a little bit about why Naaman was so discontent. It says, let your conversation, that means your manner of living, be without covetousness. 
And be content with such things as you have, for he hath said. Now, this is the writer of the Hebrews telling you why you ought to be content with what you have. For he hath said, meaning the Lord has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So whatever you have, if you have the Lord, do you have everything you need? There's not anything more that you need. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now that's the scripture. Being content with simplicity in earthly things goes right along with being content with simplicity in spiritual things. They just go hand in hand. If you know somebody, and hopefully you are that somebody, who walks with the Lord, you trust in the Lord, you're not worried about whether you're rich or poor, you go to work, or, you, or if you've worked, you draw your retirement that you, uh, from the fruits of your labors for all those years of dedication. And whatever comes in, whatever you can save, whatever you need to buy, you're okay with it. You don't sit there every day and go, oh, I wish I had a new car. Oh, I wish I had a bigger bracelet or more jewelry or more of this or more of that. That doesn't mean those things are bad. It's when people covet them. When those are the expectations of people rather than spiritual ones. It's about simplicity. I've used my grandmother, Edie Shepherd. I've used her as an example many times since she passed away in 1996 and how she was one of the observers of this very truth here, lived in simplicity, and she was just fine with it. She, she didn't sit around and worry about anything, especially the lack of material things. She didn't look out at that old Chevy Caprice sitting out in her driveway that just kind of ran around town, but it wasn't a fancy car. You probably wouldn't want to take it on a long trip. She didn't say, oh, I wish I had a new one of those. didn't bother her a bit. There's a lot to be learned, and Naaman was not one of those people. He was not content with simplicity. Paul teaches that something happens to those who are not content with the simplicity of spiritual things. Now listen to this because this affects every person. In 2 Corinthians 11 verses 3 through 4, 2 Corinthians 11 verses 3 through 4, and remember here Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that he established. He said, "But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, you might bear, well bear with him. So in other words, what Paul is saying is that he was concerned about these Corinthians. Because if their minds were removed from the simplicity that is in Christ, that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
that if their minds were, they weren't content with that, then it would be easy for someone else to come in there and preach another gospel to them and say, hey, you people who aren't content with the simplicity in Christ, let me give you some good news. There's another way. And people open their eyes and say, oh, what is it? What is it? I want to do that. And boy, they launch off and they do it. And then in a while, they're just as empty as they were before. And then they go try to find someone else with another gospel and with another gospel. And they do one of two things. They either never come back or when they come back, they say, what was I doing? The answer was right here in front of me. It was the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happens to someone who is not content with the simplicity of the gospel, which is a spiritual matter? Well, that discontent person, just like Naaman, might well bear with the one who preaches that other gospel. In other words, you might sit there and listen to him and nod your head and go, oh yeah, that's good, amen. Naaman despised the simplicity of the healing prescription that Elisha gave him. And so we learned a little bit of a a lesson there about how that relates to our attitude concerning spiritual things. Earthly things in the Bible teach us about spiritual things every time. I haven't failed to learn a lesson yet when reading about something earthly in the Bible. And so what did he do looking back in your text there at the end of verse 12? So he turned. So he turned. He turned himself not only physically but spiritually. You know, some people turn away spiritually but they remain there physically. You know how I know that? Because there are many people who go to church and they hear the gospel and they refuse to put their trust in what Jesus did. Yet they remain in the church building. They come week after week. Sometimes they come to Sunday school in church and Wednesday night and maybe even hand out gospel tracts. They come week after week, but they have turned their hearts away just as surely as Naaman turned his heart and his feet away from Elisha's remedy for that leprosy. It said so he turned in a rage and went away in a rage. You see that? In a rage, that is, furiously. Now that's something to stop and think about. He's just been given the recipe, the prescription for healing his leprosy. And he walks away in a rage. He's furious about it. It doesn't make sense, does it? Why would someone who seeks healing respond this way when they're told how to be healed? I'm going to read you a few verses out of Luke chapter 4. It's a long passage, but I want you to listen for this attitude. Luke chapter 4, it's verses 16 through 28. And it's talking about Jesus. It says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, that's the place where the Jews gathered for their religious observance. And stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, which is Isaiah. And when he, Jesus, had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, that's the simplicity of the gospel. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, what did he do? Jesus simply went into the synagogue, and he read the word of God, and he closed the book, and he sat down. And now all the Jews are looking at him. What's he going to say about it? And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, that's Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. We studied all about that. When great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elias or Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elishius, which is Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, what do you think happened? You think they got up and rejoiced and said, oh, praise God, the, the Messiah is right here before us. The one who did all these things. No, it says they were filled with wrath. They were furious. That was a long passage, but I wanted you to see some things there. One, Jesus went into the very place where the religious Jews met. Now, those religious Jews knew they were sinners and that they needed to be saved from their sin. They knew a blood sacrifice was required for that. Because from their day backwards all the way to the days of Moses and Aaron... Those blood sacrifices were made morning and evening and morning and evening. And on all of those feast days and that one day a year, that day of atonement. They knew that. And yet, and they also knew that one day a Messiah would come and fulfill all of the prophecy in the Old Testament. A second thing here is that in their synagogue, Jesus preached the gospel. And he told them that all of those scriptures were fulfilled that day in their ears. What a day of rejoicing that should have been. But what was their response? All they in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Just as Jesus told them, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And that's where he was. In fact, he was even in Nazareth in the very place he was raised, there in the synagogue. So, just as Jesus was not accepted in his own country, neither was Elisha accepted in his own country by most of the Jews. And he certainly was not, at this time, accepted by this army general Naaman from a Gentile nation. In fact, just as the Jews in the synagogue in the passage I just read you from Luke 
Naaman didn't just reject God's word. He was enraged by it. So when you wonder, why do people get so angry when I try to witness to them? Very often it is for the same reason these other people were enraged. Satan's at work. He is the prince of the power of the air. He's the prince of darkness. And the last thing he wants is for anyone to put their faith in what Jesus did. If, they, if he can get them to do anything but that, he wins. And if he can use religion to just steer people away from the truth of the gospel just a little bit, that's all it takes. To get them to add something to it or take something away from it. Consider the anger with which much of the world responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might ask yourself, couldn't these people just disagree agreeably and be on their way? Couldn't they have a respectful, logical conversation and allow others to believe the gospel if they want to without interfering? Remember, this is a spiritual battle. Paul reminded us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Ephesians 6 verse 12, when he says we, he's talking about the church, the Christians. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan will use anything and anyone especially religious leaders, to have his way. And with Naaman and others like him, Satan uses the flesh to make you discontent with God's word. He tells you, hey, that's not enough. That's not going to cut it. Well, yeah, that's true, but, but it's not all true. That's what he does, and he's very subtle. And one more thing before we leave verse 12. If you look at a map of Syria and Israel, that part of the world, you'll see that Samaria, the city in Israel, and Damascus, the capital of Syria, are split by the Jordan River. It runs right down the middle. And so for Naaman... To get from Samaria back to Damascus, what did he have to cross? The Jordan River. In fact, he'd already come through it. He crossed it somewhere to get to Samaria. So Elisha wasn't telling him, hey, you're going to have to go way out of your way to have your leprosy healed. You're going to have to go around this mountain and down this valley and by grandma's house. You're going to have to go to this lake over here on the Nile River in Egypt. No. He said, listen, on your way back, you're going to stop at the Jordan River and you're going to wash in there seven times and you're going to be clean. That's as easy as it gets. But in his present angry state. Naaman was about to march right through the Jordan River without washing in it seven times to be healed of his leprosy. Now that's just hard-headed. Verse 13. 
And his servants, that's Naaman's servants, and his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Naaman had at least two servants who had their heads on straight. They showed Naaman he was being nonsensical. Just to help you understand verse 13, they said, Naaman, if this prophet who you came all the way over here to see had said, do something really difficult, like do a handstand and walk a mile on your hands or carry a bull on your shoulder, wouldn't you have tried to do that? All he's asking you to do is just wash in the river seven times. That's it. That's all you got to do. We're already on our way to it. We got to cross it to get back home. Why not stop for a few more minutes and do what he said? That's, that's the, the gist of this. And these servants had seen Naaman travel this long journey with lots of silver and gold and clothing to a prophet in Israel who could heal him. And they said, you would have done even the most difficult things to be healed if the prophet simply told you to. All he's telling you to do is wash and be clean. And now... Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, because the apostle Paul testified to this, or about this, to the Corinthians. And these Corinthians are ones he called formerly thieves, extortioners, blasphemers, drunkards, revilers. But they had since believed the gospel. And listen to what he says. And such were some of you, But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He said they were washed. He didn't say they were washed in a baptistry. They were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus said, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. That doesn't make anybody clean. That's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and of the believer in him. And we've talked about that before, even last Sunday. And the ones who are washed in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, also believed that they did not need to do some great thing, only to wash and be clean. At some point, if you're a Christian, that's the conclusion you came to, is There was a great thing that was done for me 2,000 years ago at Calvary when Jesus died and shed his blood for sinners. And then was buried and after three days he was raised again for sinners for our justification. Giving us the promise of eternal life too if we believe in him. And that was the great thing that needed to be done so we don't need to do a great thing. All we need to do is wash and be clean. And we do that by putting our faith in what Jesus did. And we're clean. That's too simple for so many people. They say, wait a minute, there's got to be more to it. Are you just saying you do, you, you just believe and then you can just live like you want after that? Listen, if you believe what Jesus did for you, if you put your faith in him, you're not going to have that same mindset. Your mindset is going to be, Number one, gratitude. Thank you. (laughs) He lifted that burden, and the more you learn about the Bible, the more you learn about the burden that he lifted off of you, that burden of sin. 
And are you going to be perfect after that day in your earthly life? No, you're not. Because you still live in this old rotten flesh body that's going to die one day. As much as we try to put it off, it's, it's going to go away. Now, let me ask you here at this point, before we go into verse 14, have you given up on Naaman? Have you written him off as a hopeless case? Thank God that God sent faithful servants to Naaman. Let's read verse 14 and then we'll make some more comment on it. Then he then went he down. That is, Naaman went down. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, if we'd have just stopped at verse 13, you'd have said, well, there goes another hard head right there. I, uh, he doesn't deserve to be clean. He deserves to die in his leprosy. Tell you what, I don't know whether those two servants were believers or not, but they saw an error in Naaman's thinking, and they pointed it out to him. And I'm glad God sends faithful servants into our lives to show us our errors and to persuade us to believe the truth. If you're a Christian, for the most part, you probably heard the gospel a whole lot before you were ever saved. I know there are some people who have heard the gospel one time and believed on it. That's wonderful. But many, especially in this country where we have churches on the radio and churches on the street corner and churches that we can watch on Facebook and we have access to the gospel even if somebody just reads the gospel and doesn't understand what they read, you heard it. But at some point, God sent somebody to explain to you why your thinking errors about the gospel were incorrect. Perhaps your thinking error was, well, I'm a young person and I mean, I, I believe what it says, but I've got a lot of living to do and then I'll clean up and I'll put my trust in Jesus later on before I die. Well, what is your thinking error? Your thinking error is that you're going to live for a long time, that you may not die tomorrow, that you're going to make it to that age, that you really will someday put your faith in Christ. Those are your thinking errors. And so uh, one comes along and preaches to you, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. These men saw the error in Naaman's thought process, and they said, hey, you're wrong. If he'd have told you to do something difficult, you'd have done it. All he's saying is wash and be clean. As long as I've worked with Brother Fulton and the KnowImSaved.com ministry, I've seen quite a few cases, and he's seen way more than I have, in which people were confused and depressed scared, sometimes even angry, that their long-held beliefs about salvation were being challenged by God's Word. That's what made the Pharisees so angry when Jesus challenged their long-held beliefs about salvation by God's Word. And perhaps many of them, these seekers who come to the website, many of them had written off, been written off by other people, even their own pastors family members. And our, in fact, I know of one who called a very well-known pastor, a man who 
He's passed away since then, but at the time was very wise in the Hebrew and the Greek languages and very intelligent. And this man who was unsure of his salvation was desperate, and he asked this pastor. He said, I don't know what to do. And for all the training and all of the knowledge this pastor had, do you know what his answer was? Well, you just keep bouncing that ball, and one of these days it won't bounce back up at you, and then you'll know. Well, I don't know where in the Bible that's found. Not in the 66 books that I've read. It's not in there. But these people are often written off. And our hope has been to be as those people, as Naaman's servants were to him. To show them their thinking errors and to try to persuade them to believe only what God's word says rather than what they expected it to say. It says, then he went down, verse 14, as opposed to earlier in verse 11 where it says he went away. Now he went down. Now he's not going away anymore, but down to the Jordan River. When he believed his personal religion over truth, Naaman went away in a rage. When he believed truth over his personal religion, he went down in repentance. You see the difference there? It says, and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. What Naaman did, dipping in the Jordan, is important because it was what the man of God said to do. We don't know what communication God and Elisha had concerning this command. It's not written for us. But we know that God would have had to bless it for Naaman to be healed. Otherwise, Naaman would have just dunked himself in a dirty river seven times and come up with mud on his head and moss on his shoulders. And people would have thought he's lost his mind. But the greater truth here is that Naaman washed according to what the man of God said. And he was made clean. And as we discussed last week concerning what baptism represented, it it represented a death, burial, and a resurrection. So in this case, Naaman's leprous body, which had a death sentence on it, went down into the water seven times. And when he came up that seventh time, that deadly leprosy was gone. Now, Naaman would die someday, but he wouldn't die that day of that leprosy. So that's where the spiritual lesson is is taken. Not that the water saved him. Not that the Jordan River was better than the Far Far River or the uh, Abana River or any other river. It was that once he believed what God said about the matter and committed himself to it, put his faith in it. And the way he did that was by dipping in that water seven times. Then what God said would happen through the prophet happened. That's the great lesson that we learn right there. Now, verse 15, and he returned to the man of God. So Naaman went back to Elisha, he and all his company and came. Now that tells you something right there, doesn't it? Because he was in Samaria. Well, I'll do it like this on the map. He was West. He came to the Jordan. He dipped seven times and was clean. And Damascus is over here. But what did Naaman do? He made a U-turn, didn't he? 
he went back to Samaria. That's how thankful he was for what had just happened to him. And stood before him and said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. What is the reaction of a leper to his cleansing? Well, this leper turned himself to the man of God. This was a changed man. It wasn't just that his leprosy was cleansed. Because he could have said, oh, well, that's nice. I don't have leprosy anymore. And then just hooked it on to Damascus and said, hey, guys, how do y'all like my new skin? But it was more important to him to turn around and to go give thanks. His whole outlook was different. He who was a railer and a blasphemer before had placed his faith in what the man of God said and was made clean of his leprosy. So he turned to thank the man of God. Now, does everybody do this? No. In Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, And it came to pass, as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? You know what those nine did? They crossed the Jordan and they went on to Syria. Now, that's not exactly where they went, but they didn't come back. Where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. In this passage, Jesus did not tell the lepers to dip in the water, but to go to the priests. And they could have had many objections to this. The Samaritan could have said, Well, I'm an unclean person anyway. I'm, I'm not 100% Israelite. I've got mixed race. Some would, could say, well, we're not allowed to go into the camp. How are we supposed to go to the priests? They're inside the camp, and we're lepers. We're not supposed to be able to go in there. And we sure can't go into the tabernacle with our leprosy intact. But rather than turning away in wrath, these lepers went where Jesus told them to go. They believed his word. And in the case of Naaman, although God used Elisha and the waters of Jordan rather than sending him to a priest, it was Naaman's faith in that truth that made him whole. Elisha could have said to the messenger, hey, tell him to do this. And Naaman could have said, all right, gone all the way to the waters of Jordan, gone, tell you what, I'm going to get in there one time. I'm not going to dip seven times. Or I'm going to just stand on the bank here and we'll just pretend that I got in the water. I mean, I went just like people come to church, right? I heard just like people hear the gospel. But then they say, well, that's, that, that's enough. I went to church. God ought to be happy with that. No, he's not happy because you went to church. He's happy when you believe the gospel. But only one leper returned to give thanks to Jesus. The other ones went on their way with their new skins and their old hearts. And that's where we'll stop today. 
And we'll finish that verse out next week, Lord willing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the members and visitors alike who've come to the auditorium and also those who have tuned in online and who will watch later the recorded version. And Father, we know that the message of your word is important to every one of us. So I pray that you would help us to remember it, to understand it, to believe what it says, and then to apply it in our daily living and let it shape our theology rather than man's expectations of what the Bible should say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.